All right. 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel chapter 26. We're going to read just uh, the first uh, four verses. We're going to deal with the rest of the chapter uh, next Wednesday night by God's grace. Uh, but uh, chapter uh, 26 of 1 Samuel, chapter, uh, verse number 1, the Bible says, And the Ziphites came unto, uh, came unto Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hachilah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Deja vu. Uh, sounds like we're going back on the merry-go-round again. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hachilah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. Saul was come in very deed. Saul's back. The title tonight is, Let God Deal With It. Let God Deal With It. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before You tonight, and I just ask for Your help in preaching Your Word. I pray that You would speak to our hearts, that You would encourage us, that You would challenge us, You would help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in the life of David, a heart after God's own heart. But sometimes things can be finally seeming to be settling down, right? Things can finally seem to be smoothing out and then everything shakes up again, right? Everything, uh, things can be going somewhat smoothly and then out of nowhere, everything can change in an instant. Everything can turn on its head just in a moment of time. And it's very often when we uh, especially if you've been going through something, if you've been going through a storm, if you've been going through a trial, whether it's a physical trial, you've just been going through, maybe it's not God's uh, chastening hand on your life. There's just difficult seasons of life. There's just problems that come with life. And you're finally dealing with that, and you finally come out on the other side, and things like, whew, there's a break. There's going to be a, a, a little bit. It's like, the, it's like uh, at the beginning of the summer when the humidity, it was just, uh, it was like, when is this going to break? I remember that back in June in the first part of July. It was just humid and humid. And then there was one day that came. It was like, it's a little less humid. And then it was right back the next day. I was like, oh, we're, are we going to get a break? Is it ever going to happen? And sometimes when you, it finally seems that a break is there, it finally seems that things are going to settle down. And then it kicks up again. That can be the hardest time. Because you go, I thought we were done with this. I thought we weren't going to have to deal with this anymore. I thought we were past that, and now we're right back in the mess of that. We've all been there. there there's, also, there's something going through each one of our minds uh, right now, probably, about a situation that I, that it just keeps coming back. The gift that keeps on giving, uh, not in a, a, a nice way. That's where David was when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 26. Okay? At, 
at this point, if we go back into 1 Samuel chapter 25, um, at the end there, David has enjoyed some level of peace and quiet for we don't know how long, but for some level of time now. He's had, um, we would say, there was a little bit of normalcy that, that was in David's life. Okay? Um, David has learned to let God direct him, and he has seen God deliver him over and over and over again. Just a little bit of review to keep us up to speed here. 1 Samuel chapter 23, God, um, came, uh, David um, followed God's leadership at the battle of Keilah, right? He sought God's leadership and he went up and he fought against the Philistines and he saw God have him right in the perfect place and God direct him and uh, bring the Philistines to deliver him from Saul. Remember that? Right at the perfect time, just as Saul was surrounding him because David had been obedient to God. The messenger came, the Philistines have invaded the land, Saul had to leave David, and he has seen God deliver, and the safest place you can be is in obedience to God's word. Um, that there are so many dangers and traps, there are so many temptations that we avoid if we just stay obedient to God's word, if we're not there in the first place, and David has been learning that, and then um, 1 Samuel chapter 24, David was in the cave with his men, remember that? And Saul had been chasing David, and he comes into the cave, I mean, and David's own men were telling him, the Lord has delivered you, Saul into your hand. I mean, God's promises are coming true, and David kept his head when everyone else around him was losing theirs. Uh, David stayed in obedience to God's word. You, we learn this. You and I can't help, quote unquote, accomplish God's will. It's got to be God who does the work. We just stay obedient. We don't help God by taking matters into our own hands and trying to work things out and trying to orchestrate when it's not what God has said. It's never right to do wrong. It's never right to do wrong. Two wrongs never make a right. However, all the different ways, David said, no, I can't disobey God even though that would seem to help me get to the throne. I can't take a shortcut. I have to let God do it. And so David learned that. David had seen God save him from the Saul that was in his own heart. Remember that with Nabal. How uh, um, Nabal insulted David in every way that was possible. And David said, I don't have to put up with this, but God sent Abigail to give him some wisdom and say, you don't want to do this. Don't follow your own heart. Stay obedient to God's word. David almost lost everything at that point. If he had gone and done it his own way, and he, but the Lord taught him, no, there's a bit of Saul in your heart and you have to guard against that. You have to trust me. Stay obedient to me. Don't take out your sword. Trust that I'm going to take care of it. And God did take care of Nabal, right? Uh, God smote Nabal. Ten days later, Nabal died. By the hand of God, not by the hand of David. David didn't have to do anything. He had to wait, stay obedient to God. You can't fill, fulfill the desires of your heart and serve God at the same time. That's why we have to serve God, and God will fulfill the desires that He gives us. That's the meaning of the verse. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. David had some desires, but he wasn't delighting in the Lord. Everybody see that? And that's why God had to stop him. Once he began delighting in the Lord, God took care of the problem in His own way. 
God took care of it. Our folk at David was learning our focus needs to stay on God. Don't let the problems, don't let the uh, situations, the insults, the hurts, don't let that consume our minds. Okay, that was about four sermons there in the last uh, five minutes. But I hope that just kind of refreshes some things and gets some of the um, context and what David's been going through back in our mind. Remember, everything in the Bible has a context. David hasn't just, we covered this in the last weeks, this has been months of David's life, even years that he's been enduring. Where he's been on the run for Saul, where he's been putting up with this, where he's had all of this pressure besides that of taking care of his men on him. This has been going on for some time, but as we go back, we can clearly see how God stepped in. Okay? They say hindsight's 2020. Right? David couldn't see how God was going to work on this side of the situation, but especially now that we have the book of 1 Samuel, we can look back and say, wow, look what God was doing. And God really was on the throne. And God really was working and orchestrating in that situation and protecting and moving. He was working out the situation with God's wisdom, with God's power. And after the incident with David in the cave, okay, David showed Saul, I could have killed you, right? Um, here's a piece of your robe. This is how close you were to death, Saul. I want you to know that I wasn't here. I mean that I wasn't going to kill you, that I'm trustworthy, that I, I'm not out to get you. Don't believe what other people are telling you. And so Saul went back to his home. Saul went back to Gibeah. And um, he left David alone. And for a brief time, David almost has a semi-normal life. He brings Abigail, um, Nabal's wife. Nabal died. He marries Abigail and sets up house, so to speak, and begins to operate in a, in a somewhat normal life. The Bible says there he also took another wife. And the Bible never condones or blesses polygamy, all right? And obviously that is not something that's supposed to take place, even though we see many heroes of the faith participating in it. Here's the, here's the principle and the warning for us. That was very common in that culture. That was very acceptable in that culture. But it wasn't condoned or commanded by God. The law did not say expressly, expressly prohibit it. But it was not promoted in the law. And the principle is we should not let society, we should not let the culture dictate how we live our lives. We should let God. I, I don't believe if David had really sought God on this, he would have said, yeah, you need to marry as many wives as you want. Okay? Uh, I, I, there, there's faults in all of the biblical characters because they're human just like we are. And so, but the, the, uh, the principle is, don't let culture determine how we're supposed to live God. But that's what David was doing. He was saying, you know what? I'm going to settle down. I'm going to begin to live somewhat of a normal life. And with David's uh, marriage to Abigail, we don't know this for sure, but from the way things work, it's very possible that some of Nabal's wealth, remember he was a very wealthy man, he had 3,000 sheep, he had a number of camels. It's very possible that a good amount, a good amount of those resources, of, that, of those finances, came into David's life. And now he had means to take care of his men, and now he had means to set up a house somewhat. And so, 
Things are, we would say this, things are looking up for David. And though, even though he should not have uh, been in multiple relationships here, David and his men, as far as uh, the text tells us, is still doing right. They're still trying to serve God. David is still uh, um, fighting the battles of the Lord. He's still uh, helping fend off the Philistines. He's still doing that sort of thing. He's making no threatening attempts at Saul. He's saying, I want to continue to serve God. I want to continue to wait on God's leadership. So things have reached almost, we'd say this, a new normal. There's, there's a calmness that's there. There's a little bit of, I can actually sleep in a bed tonight, and uh, some of that kind of thing. We would, we would understand that what was, that's kind of what was going on in David's life. After all of the crazy of running from Saul, we just need to wait. Saul's going to pass off the scene. Then it'll be time for me to step up and be king. I've already, I'm amassing some resources and some men. Things are looking up. Okay, I can, I can kind of see a pathway to the throne. I can kind of see how this is going to work out. And then everything changes. In a moment of time, David's life goes from a semi-new normal to completely upside down. Um, the Bible says here, the Ziphites came and they approached Saul and they reported David's location and David's quote-unquote hostility to the king. He's hiding himself. He's moving around. He's, he's setting up again. Okay, now this had been, they had done this before to David. Remember that? Uh, back in 1 Samuel chapter 23, they had come um, after David had fought the battle of Keilah. They had showed up and they had told Saul, we know where David is. They lived in the, the Ziphites lived in the pasture lands that was surrounding Maon, that was surrounding uh, the wilderness of Ziph there, obviously, in the land of Judah. Uh, these men were, this tribe, this uh, clan, we would say, was of the tribe of Judah. They were actually descendants of Caleb, just like Nabal. They would have been very closely related to Nabal. And they brought the report to Saul that David was hiding himself, that he was concealing himself. He was up to no good. He's moving around. He's plotting and planning against Saul. You're going to have to do something. Now, it appears that up to this point, since David met Saul in the cave, Saul has not been actively looking for David. We don't see that in the text. Um, David has been treated almost as a live-let-live kind of scenario. Saul has treated David as a cold case. Okay, in the police files, um, it's a cold case. We don't have any leads. We're not really pursuing this. He's still on file. He's still on the most wanted list, but uh, we're just not dealing with that one right now. We're not going that direction. Then came the report. David's back up to his old tricks again. Right? He's, concealed. He's, he's moving around. He's plotting and planning. And we don't know the exact reasons that these men would have, quote-unquote, had it out for David. That's really what it appears. They had it out for David. It's possible, to, two possibilities uh, would be maybe they saw David's interaction with Nabal when David was planning with his 400 men to go attack Nabal and they saw David and his men on the warpath, quote-unquote, there, it's possible. I wouldn't say that was likely. It's possible that they, that made us stirred up something. It's also possible that the men of Ziph were angered at David's marrying Abigail and 
getting a hold of some of those finances that were part of their clan and part of their uh, family there. That is possible as well. We don't know for sure, but we do know this. This was unprovoked. This was not a result of David doing wrong. This was not a result of David being out of God's will. This was a result of an unprovoked wrong, of injustice. They were, David was doing nothing wrong, and they brought a completely malicious, slanderous report against David before King Saul. David had been minding his own business, and they come to Saul, and they make it up like David's doing something terrible. He's uh, planning an insurrec insurrection. And if anybody would have known David's innocence, it would have been the men of Zip. Because David had been in that area a lot. And he would have protected their cattle. And he, would have, uh, he and his men would have done good things and been honest and upright in that area. And so um, we don't know what happened and why they did this, but it was, in, it was unjust. It was unprovoked. It was unnecessary. It was lies. Saul had been given a real shock when he'd ended up in the cave, and he had been face-to-face -face with David's ability to kill him, but David had refused, and it had kind of shocked Saul back into real thinking. But when Saul heard this message, I know where David is, the old habits kick back in. The old thinking kicks right back in. He gathered his band of picked men, and they went out to pursue David. He, the Bible says there that Saul arose. He, his anger arose. His, in his body he arose. He got up. He got up hastily. He got up in a hostile sense. And any clear thinking he had had back in the cave was out the window. It was gone. He was back on the hunt for David. Once Saul was reminded of David, his heart went right back to the old ways. The, the evil spirit was stirred up within him again, and he gathered his best men, his picked men, his chosen men, 3,000 men versus 600, five to one odds, okay? Uh, not, doesn't sound very good for David and his men. And these were uh, the special forces of Israel. These were the picked men. That's the best Saul could get. We're going to go get David. And it says that they pitched there by the way or by the road. There was the road that led into that wilderness. Saul found the hill where the road was. He set up his headquarters. He set up his camp there and said, we're not letting him get out of this now. He was there. He was going to get David. And David sent out men. He, the Bible says he sent out spies. That would be men on foot. He sent out scouts is how we would say it maybe. He's like, is Saul really coming? Are we really going back this, to this? I, I, I thought Saul would have maybe had a little bit more sense. And they come back. It's Saul. It's not a Philistine band. It's Saul. It's soldiers of Israel. We can't go attack them. They're our own people. We're kind of stuck here. Saul's come out. Now, we might ask this. Why did Saul come out after David again despite having been plainly confronted with David's innocence, with David's trustworthiness there in the cave, right? If you wanted any more proof of David's innocence, it was right there in the cave. 
Um, David had the ability to completely take out Saul. Uh, Saul wouldn't even known what would have happened. And yet David restrained himself and David said, Saul, no, I, 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 you're still the king and I'm still honoring and respecting that. Well, just we need to get this point of application. We're dealing mainly with David in this series, but we need to get this point of application. While Saul had dealt with the flare-up of him chasing David, he had never repented. He never dealt with the issue in his heart. And so everything kind of simmered down, and there was no more outburst or flare-ups for a good while, but he had never repented. He had never dealt with it before God. You know, in our own lives, sometimes we can have a, something that we're struggling with, and then we say, you know what, I got it under control. It, it's, I just don't have to worry about this for right now. It's just kind of there. But if we don't repent of it, if we don't deal with it in a biblical way, it's going to be there. And it's going to continue to fester. And it's going to continue to grow. And it's only a matter of time until it comes out again. Self-discipline is only going to keep you uh, keep it under wraps for so long. Unless we deal with it biblically, the biblical principle is, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Saul was like Proverbs 26, as a dog returneth, returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. He was living like there was not God. He was living unto his own thinking, and because he had not put God back in his life, he just went right back to his old ways. He went right back to the same stinking thinking, uh, as one of my professors called it. Sin is a lot like cancer. You, a lot of people are satisfied if it's in remission. Okay, a lot of people in their life, hey, my family's kind of holding together right now. We're not having any blow-ups. We're not having any problems. You know, I'm not really down in the dumps over here. I'm not in bondage to this right now. I kind of got a handle on it. But that's not what we're supposed to do with sin. It needs to be removed. You don't want to just get it to a controllable level. You want to get it out. Only the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God can cleanse us from all sin. But sin's like cancer. You can cover it up over here, but it's going to show up in another area. And the longer you let it sit, the more destruction it gives. We can have different areas of rebellion in our own heart that we say, you know what, I got this under control. You know what, I don't have to deal with this right now. That's what Saul did. And as soon as the right uh, provocation came, woof! Right back into the, uh, into the full burning. The evil spirit was all over him. We could say this, don't play with fire. How many forest fires have been started because someone said, no, I, cover, I put out my campfire and they left the embers burning? Oh, there's no visible flames, it's fine. Then the right tinder came along and it's off and it's going and it's not stopping soon. We have to be careful that we deal with things in our own heart. That we make sure we allow God to cleanse our heart and to cleanse us from all evil way. We don't want to go the direction of Saul. We want to have a heart after God's own heart. And that means when God confronts us with sin, deal with it. Don't say, I've got it under control, it'll be okay. No, remove it. We don't need the contamination. We don't need the influence. That's what happened to Saul. 
because he never repented, as soon as the right provocation, the right situation came in, right back to the way he was before. David is not in the wrong here. He is a once again enduring injustice. He is enduring betrayal. He is being wronged. But how did David deal with this situation? Now you can turn to Psalm 54. All right? That was the introduction. Now we'll get to the message. No, that was all part of the message. It helps us understand Psalm 54. This is one of those psalms where we have the heading. It says, A psalm of David when the Ziphims came and said unto Saul, Doth not David hide himself with us? This psalm could have been written the first time. Um, I, it could have been written this time. We don't necessarily know for sure which time uh, it was written. It could have been about both times. But here's what David writes. To the Lord, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's dealing with injustice. He's dealing with betrayal by his own people, his own tribesmen. He says, save me, O God, by thy name. Judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, Selah. Behold, God is mine helper, and the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies, cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eyes, and my eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. When faced with the situation turning upside down again, when faced with Oh, we're going back into this situation again. What did David do? He first called out to God. And he prayed for God to rescue him. In the Hebrew, the actual, um, they don't use the word order that we do in English. And so uh, they can move words around to put emphasis. And so it starts with, oh God. That's the beginning of the psalm there in the Hebrew. And it's placed first for emphasis. David saying, I'm starting with you, God. I'm, I'm starting with you. And the, the uh, Hebrew word there, Elohim, it is a plural word. It's a plural noun that speaks about the one God. It's a plural of majesty. It's talking about the glory of God, the, the self-sufficient, the self-creator, the almighty God, the one who created this universe. That is our God. And David's saying, as, as I'm seeing things Turn upside down again. I'm going to start with who God is. And I'm going to plead with God to save me. Um, will you deliver me? The idea there is to give width, to give breath to. Lord, I'm, he's saying, God, it feels like the walls are closing in around me. Will you save me? Will you open it up? Will you deliver me out of that? He's saying, will you deliver me by, the, by your name? By thy name. When you're crying out to God and you're going through something, one of the things that can help is just to remember the name of God and what's connected with that. David's saying, save me because of who you are. Save me, I know your reputation. I know that you are all-knowing. 
I know that you have all wisdom and that you have all power and that you have all grace and that you are the one who parted the Red Sea and you are the one who opened up the, um, opened up the way and you are the, creator God. you are the Creator God. Sometimes when you're going through things, the best thing you can do is stop and remember who God is. And when we remember the immensity of God, it kind of puts our problems in perspective. When we remember the greatness of God and what has been no factor for Him. The walls of Jericho. He said, march around seven times so you know they won't come down and then they'll just disappear when I say so. When you obey me, the walls of Jericho were absolutely zero factor. God just, um, and in obedience to God, they disappeared. The Red Sea parted. The world was created because of who God is. And David saying, deliver me by thy name, by who you are, by your power, by your grace. And then he says, judge me in thy strength. The idea of judge there is not necessarily to um, examine me, but the idea of to be a judge. Will you bring my case before your court? Will you bring my situation into your presence and will you examine what's going on? Will you offer a ruling over what's going on in my life? You have the power to deal with this situation. I don't. Uh, Your honor, will you take care of this situation? Does everybody see what David's praying for? He's saying, you're in control of this, I am not. He's like, God, I need you to be my lawyer. I need you to be my judge. Will you handle this? Then in verse number 2, he says, Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. David is not praying as if God's not listening. God, will you please listen to me, please? No, he's praying because he knows God is listening. And he's saying, Lord, I want this to come before you. I want you to hear and listen. And Will you give me your ear? Will you listen to what's going on? But he's praying, expecting God to listen. If you're a child of God, we have that promise that if we pray, God is listening. God already knows our situation and we can bring our request. We can bring our needs before God and He's already there. Here's what David's saying. He's saying, Lord, I'm laying this at your feet. Lord, I can't handle this. Will you take care of this? And in verse number 3, really what David does is he lays out the situation before God. You know, when when we're praying, though God knows the situation, we are to make our requests made known unto God. Lord, this is what's going on. And this is what this person is saying. And this is, what a, this is what the bills are. And this is what the um, health situation is. And this is what's going on here. L- let me lay the situation before you. David says here, Strangers have risen up against me. Risen is, this, is just the past tense of when it says Saul arose. It's the same, it's the same Hebrew word there. That they're coming with a hostile sense. They're, they're coming against me. They're seeking my life. And he uses the word strangers which would be a word used for a term used for someone outside of the covenant relationship of Israel. It was used for someone who was a heathen, someone who did not know God, a stranger, uh, someone who was of a different nationality, and yet it was Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. It was the Ziphites of the tribe of Judah that were coming against David, and David saying, my oppressors, my formidable enemies, those who are seeking to destroy me, are acting like the heathen. They're acting like 
There's no God. In fact, he says this in the end, they have not set God before them. Okay? What he's saying is the decisions they're making have been made as if God is not, as if you're not on the throne. They're not thinking about you at all. They're not consulting you. They're not seeking you. They're making decisions in their own wisdom. They're, they're acting like you don't exist, Lord. And they're coming against me, against your will and against your word. What they're doing is wrong. By the way, what takes place in our society and what take the most hurtful things that take place in our world is when people make decisions and they have not set God before them. Even as Christians, it's possible to live like a practical atheist. Here's my day. Here's my things. This is what I need to do. Yada, yada, yada. I get it in line. And we never stop and set God. God, what would you want to do? God, how would you handle this situation? God, what's your will for me today? God, will you help me to serve you and keep you in my mind and keep you as the focus and honor and serve you? Will you, will you help me to do that? They weren't doing that. By the way, that's why they were chasing David because God would have never led them to do that. So what David does is, he cut, as he's dealing with this situation, he says, Lord, I'm going to have to lay this at your feet. Lord, will you take care of what people are doing against me? And then he uses the word selah. It, it basically, from our understanding, it means stop and think about it. It's a pause. And then the, the, the idea, the, the mood of the psalm shifts. We would say it almost goes from a minor key to a major key. It goes from something a little sad and somber to something joyful. And he begins to rejoice in who God is. In this situation, as everything is turned upside down, David is rejoicing. He says, Behold, God is mine helper. He rejoiced that God was and continued to be his source of help, his source of rescue. David knew that God was going to take an active role in his situation. He says, God is my helper. It's like when I, uh, a couple weeks ago, I took Amy for a walk. We were going to the grocery store. And uh, we walked down the sidewalk, and she wanted to walk the whole way. But so, and so long as she was holding onto my hand, grabbing onto my finger there, she was absolutely fine. There's one time, though, that she's like, okay, I kind of got this, and she let go. She tripped. But I was right there, scraped her knee just a little bit. But I picked her up, got her back up, dusted her knee off, make sure she wasn't hurt. Say, God, you're my helper. You're there to st stand me back up again. You're there to, for, to, for me to hold on. In fact, he, sa he says there, the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. There were others around David that were helping David, right? His 600 men that were there that were supporting David and said, Lord, I know you're going to use them to help me. I know that you're at work in different areas. Uh, by the way, God puts people in our lives to support us and to comfort us. And that's part of what church is about, uh, is, to, is for people to be around and to, um, to support each other as we're going through the hard times. Verse number five, he says, he shall, reward the evil, uh, um, he shall reward evil unto mine enemies. He says, God, I know you're help, my helper, and I know you're going to take care of this. I, I know you are going to reward, that you're going to uh, turn the way of the wicked upside down. The, word, the Hebrew word for reward there is actually double. It's reward, reward. And they, they do that in the Hebrew for emphasis. 
for certainty. David saying, I know this is going to take place. You're going to fully reward. You're going to everything that they are doing. It's going to be justice that you are going to meet out. There's no doubt that this is going to happen. And he says there, I will free, and then verse number 6, I will freely sacrifice unto thee. David says, even though I'm facing this, I can continue to serve you. In fact, I'm going to continue to serve you with joy and from my heart. He says, I'm going to freely sacrifice generously, voluntarily. In the Old Testament, sacrifices was how you approach God. Okay? In the New Testament, we would say this. He said, I'm going to go right on going to church. I'm going to go right on reading my Bible. I'm going to go right on witnessing. I'm going to go right on giving. I'm going to go right on uh, serving God freely, with joy, without reserve. And then he says this, I will praise thy name for it is good. Not only was David saying, I'm going to just keep on serving you. He says, I'm going to do it with a song in my heart. I'm going to be able to serve you from my heart. I'm going to be able to serve you with joy. It's possible in a trial sometimes, in a difficult time, to just keep doing it because you know it's what you're supposed to do. But you do it with kind of a sorrow. You do it with a little bit grumpy. Hey, don't ever stop doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Right? There, it's like, well, I don't feel like it. I, I, you know, I don't want to be hypocritical, so I'm, I'm not going to do what I know God. No, 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 no. Always do what God told you to do. But David's saying here, even though I'm in this situation, there's joy in my heart. I'm serving you from the heart. I, I'm praising you. I'm sacrificing and doing that from the heart. And, he's, and he said, in verse number 7, he says, though I haven't seen you deliver yet, I know you are. The, 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 the verbs there in verse number 7 are perfect tense. As if it had already happened even though God had not delivered David from Saul yet. He's saying, Lord, I know it's, it's in your hands. I know you're going to take care of it. I don't have to worry about it. And I'm going to see, uh, mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. It's not going to be my desire, it's going to be God's desire. God's going to, I, I, God's going to take care of it according to his will. God's going to do it as he sees fit. See, David could deal with the continued injustice, the betrayal, everything he was dealing with, and still serve God with his whole heart because he cried out to God and he trusted in God to deliver and meet out the circumstances. He brought the situation to God and he trusted that God was going to take care of it. There's going to be problems that every one of us face there are situations going on right now where you go, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to take care of it. But we can still serve God with joy when we deal with our own heart and let God deal with their heart. We can still serve God with joy when we let God deal with our heart and we deal with our heart God's way and we let God, let God deal with their heart. Sometimes it's easy to say, I want to deal with that, when instead what we need to do is deal with this and let God deal with that. 
And see, this was the key to David being able to say, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to freely sacrifice. I, I'm, I don't have to get all bent up and bent out of shape. I don't have to get fearful because if I deal with my heart and make sure I'm where God wants me to be and I'm in God's will, then I can trust that God is going to be faithful to deal with their heart and deal with that situation in a way that I can't. It's going to be His desire upon mine enemies, but I can, if I pray and I leave it with God, I can trust that He's going to deal with their heart so long as I have first dealt with my heart. That was part of Saul's problem. Saul hadn't dealt with his heart. And that's why he was trying to deal with David, which wasn't even the problem. It's because Saul wasn't willing to deal with his heart. If we're going to see God work in our life, we first have to make sure, wait a second, God, am I where I need to be? Is my spirit right? Am I, obe am I in obedience to your will? Am I where you want me to be? And then after we said, Lord, cleanse me. David would, pray, David would write in the Psalms, search my heart, know me, try, see if there be any wicked way in me. So once we do that, the next thing we have to do is Leave what's taking place in other hearts for God to deal with. You can't deal with hearts. You and I can't plead our own case. We have to seek God and trust that He's going to deal with it. We have to seek God and we have to leave it at His feet. There's going to be fiery trials. It's written about. There's going to be afflictions and persecutions. There's going to be problems of life. Sometimes we bring it on our own heads. And sometimes it's just part of serving God. We're where we're supposed to be, and there's just that situation that keeps coming up, and that keeps coming up. Wait a second. If we're going to be able to serve God with joy, we have to pray and we have to leave it at His feet. We have to take it to God, and we have to trust that God is going to deal with it. But once you're confident of God's help, once you remind yourself, wait a second, I'm praying to the name of the everlasting God. I know that He has promises. He has promised He hears my prayers. He knows the number of hairs that are upon my head. He knows the situation that we're in. He has promised He's going to provide all of our need according to His riches and glory. He has promised I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Once we bring it to God and stay in His promises, that is what gives us the confidence to say, as Paul did in Romans chapter 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? That no matter what we're facing, if God is for us, if, Jesus, if God did not spare His own Son, the passage goes on to say, if God was willing to give Jesus Christ so that we could be saved because He loves us, what is God not willing to give? What is God not willing to do? But in order to be able to have that confidence, number one, we have to make sure we're where God wants us to be. Number two, we have to leave it in His hands. Confess, Lord, in Your time, in Your way, You're going to take care of this, and then keep doing right. David didn't say, well, because of Saul, I'm just going to go over here and have a big party. <laughs> okay, no, what did David do? He said, I'm going to keep serving God from the heart. I'm not going to stop serving God. I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of this. Because I know who God is. And I know what He's capable of doing. And I'm going to trust that. And that's what gave David the confidence to keep pressing on and to keep serving God. You can serve God with joy when you deal with your own heart 
and let God deal with their heart. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we just pray. Lord, that you would help us to trust you. Lord, there's many burdens that each person here is bearing. And I pray, Lord, that we would know you better. We would serve you. And Lord, that we would be able to do it with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll take a moment. The Lord has spoken to your heart. Let's do some business with the Lord.